Hello and welcome once again to Radio Brews News. I am Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, Australia's leading source for independent beer news and discussion. Why are we here? Well, beer is a conversation. Some issues in the beer world are a little too complex for a short article, and so each fortnight we will assemble some of the most knowledgeable and forthright beer people in the Australian brewing industry and thrash these issues out and see what happens. And uh, with me, as always, is my executive producer, all-round good guy and beer bloke, Professor Pilsner, Pete Mitchum. Pete, what a week, sports fans. Oh, Matt, (laughs) it's been bigger than the biggest thing you can think of. Uh, And I think for the... uh for the benefit of the listeners, if nothing else, I think we need to skip our uh, our regular intro and about what beers we've been drinking since we last chatted, because I fear that between the two of us, if we had to name every beer that we've drunk in the last two weeks, we might break the internet. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't keep... I've, I've actually learned um, through... Not, not from hard experience, but I've actually learned that I enjoy my beer less at something like that. Um, the more I focus on the beer, the less I enjoy it. Um, and a week like that, you can become a little bit too studious, I think. And it's uh, actually, I should say, listeners, um, we're talking about Good Beer Week, um, which was held in Melbourne last week, um, was the inaugural Good Beer Week. Um, and it was pretty much a gathering of the beery tribes. And there were more events than you could literally poke a beer bottle at. And uh, it was a terrific week. What was that? A mash paddle. A mash paddle at, thank you very much. Or a malt shuffle. Uh, a malt shuffle. Um, and it was a terrific week. And uh, if you get the chance, there is already plans to run it next year. Try and get down to Melbourne for it. It is a fantastic event. Um, you know, Melbourne is a great city at the best of times. But when you've got a week of nonstop beer events um, that you can go at, drinking responsibly, of course, um, very well worth the effort. Um, so... We'll talk to James Smith in just a second um, about Good Beer Week, who is sort of the brains behind it. But uh, anything else been going on outside of uh, Melbourne and Good Beer Week, Prof, that you want to talk about? Yeah, mate, it's, it's, it's really been a bit of a, um, a kickstarter for a rather uh, interesting couple of weeks. Obviously, Good Beer Week, it, 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 you could almost do a podcast just, just on that and look out for the Crafty Pint particularly because I know uh, a lot of video was taken uh, some of it possibly even usable, um, which will appear in, in uh, selected edited snippets on the Crafty Pint. So keep an eye out for that because the, the words will uh, can't really do the the actual thing justice. The, the, the pictures will probably paint a much um, a much broader um, appreciation of, of what went on. But uh, as a result, or in the Twitter sphere, you tend to make a few new friends uh, with something like Good Beer Week, and I've certainly noticed that uh, my followers have jumped massively from just from people I've met at events that I hosted and events that I attended. Uh, one of whom uh, is uh, I'll give a shout out to Shane from uh, Liquid Courage uh, podcast, a South Australian boy, uh, dipping his toe in at the deep end of craft beer um, just over the last couple of years, but um, top beer bloke. Uh, and more importantly, he's got one of these uh, magical partners, hi Amy, who uh, did one of those wonderful things that partners often do for you, in a very nice way, um, on the internet, no, in a nice way, uh, and found you know cheap fares to Melbourne, uh, teed up some babysitters and what have you, and uh, packed up and brought him over. So got to catch up with him at the tap house for lunch, uh, to Shane and Amy, um, a great, great bloke to have a good chat to. He's sort of starting off. Uh, his journey into craft beer, 
Um, but well worth listening to, uh, and also uh, stole a lot of good ideas about how to get podcasts up and running. As you know, in my role as executive producer. Excellent. Well, and what's the name? What, what's the name of the podcast again? Liquid Courage. Liquid Courage. So uh, listen out for it. There is no competition in the world of good beer. We're all trying to get good beer together. So uh, please listen to Zachary. it. Yep. Um, mate, yeah, no, I've uh, had a couple of days down at uh, Good Beer Week in the International Beer Awards. Um, one of the things that I got to participate in last week that was a little bit uh, off the radar was the Crown Ambassador Reserve blending. We talked about that last show, um, so I won't, won't go into that too much. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that was an interesting experience, so it's going to be launched fairly soon. Um, now, full disclosure, they were very nice, and they flew me down uh, and invited me to participate. So, um, But, yeah, no, look, look out for this year's Crown Ambassador Reserve. You certainly won't be finding any um, Britannomyces in it this year. Listening to them speak, I almost worry whether they haven't gone too far the other way where every you know they've had the microbiologist walking along at every stage and making sure that everything is good. So um, it's certainly very clean tasting this year. But apart from that... Uh, yeah, and uh, yesterday I was... Um, Look forward to it. It, it. it sounds like I'm leading the life of a jet setter, but I'm not really. Um, I was down in Sydney for the launch of a new bottle. Um, now, normally, new bottles do not thrill me at all. Um, and to be said, there's nothing particularly exciting about this new bottle. Um, Gage Roads have partnered with their bottle maker, who are OI, uh, OI I think, the, the, the glass, yep, um, and Mask. it's a bottle that's yeah. got a spiral on the inside of the neck. It's like a rifle-barreled um, spiral. Now, I was all ready to uh, sneer and throw my hands up and sort of talk about all sorts of marketing garbage, particularly seeing I'd read a uh, media release earlier in the week that Chewy, the, or Chewy, the New Zealand brewer, was talking up this bottle that agitates the beer and gets it foaming as you drink from the bottle and it increases the flavour and I was all ready to, to sneer about that um, but Gage Roads have, uh, have launched it and uh, they're putting it on their Wahoo which you know, is a pretty light beer light flavoured, it's a Kulsh, Kulsh style beer um, Kulsh style, yes, no they, they were very clear about that yep, um, style. but it was very yep. refreshing to hear them talk about it and Nick uh, Hyler, who's the managing director wasn't talking about any revolutionary properties. He was saying, basically, look, we've been making good beer for years. We've struggled to get it in the market. We've won awards at a lot of brewing com- uh, competitions. None of them do anything for our sales. Um, but sometimes changing bottles do. So we've, we've done this. It's purely about the aesthetics. If you think it tastes better, well and good. Um, so look out for the bottle because it certainly is a- an interesting design. Um, when you see it on the table next to a, a standard bottle, it looks interesting and you know these things are important you know you you pick up before you even taste a beer you drink it with your eyes um so yeah it was, it was fairly interesting so it'll be interesting to yeah. see whether it does give the beer a little bit of a kick along it's a sort of beer that i think is more targeted at the mainstream than the probably the beer geek that listens to radio brews news but it'll be interesting to see what it does because marketing um, is important so long as it's my view is so long as it's honest um, as you know um, and yeah no, they, were, they were being very upfront about what they thought so yeah we'll wait and see what happens there so the, the, the rifling is that going to allow me to pour my beer quicker no I don't think it or from a greater distance no I don't, it, it doesn't make it pour straighter it's just a spiral on the inside of the neck that you can see from the outside and they can do all sorts of other tricky things with it apparently um, apparently it does um, do some work with the uh 
it, it does something about the flow, um, but whether it just agitates it or, or whatever. Um, actually, the, the one thing I will say is that it was at Aria in Sydney, so you know they pulled out all stops to uh, to nice. impress the people that were there. Um, Did you speak to him about his uh, beer list? Well, this is the thing. I, I didn't see the broader beer list because it was all guided. Um, but they had a very nice menu that had five wine options um, and didn't even mention the beers. That um, Obviously, they were gauge-road beers that they were serving, so they weren't going to serve anything else. But when I asked for a beer, you know, I was, I was, I'm a beer drinker. I had beer with my lunch. Um, the waiter sort of turned up his nose at me and brought me the bottle. I had to ask for a glass, um, you know, and uh, had to do that every time. And it's the second time I've been to a beer industry event in Aria, I've been in Brisbane and uh, and Sydney now, and I can't work out why the brewing industry do it apart from the flashness of, of Aria because it just seems to have absolutely no support for beer. Um, Brisbane seems to have a decent beer list, but uh, I had the opportunity to speak to Matt Moran about it once, and uh, when I was interviewing him about something else, and I mentioned his beer list, he'd been telling me all about his sourdough bread. Um, and how fantastic uh, it was, and it's a very nice sourdough bread. But then I said, oh, and you've got an interesting beer list. Do you do anything uh, beer and food related? And his response was something along the lines of, oh, mate, don't drink beer. And that was it. Discussion closed. And had I been speaking to him about beer, I would have pointed out that he just spent a bit of time telling me about his fantastic sourdough bread, um, which is made from exactly the same ingredients, but fewer of them, than beer. And uh, he gets all excited about Mm. bread but not beer. And I think... um, the sooner uh, the, the brewing industry uh, stop buying into the you know, flashness of a venue like that and start supporting the restaurants that are genuinely supporting them, not just supporting the, you know, the, the, the big names, but actually putting some thought into their beer list and how beer can work. Um, it doesn't take much effort, but the, 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 the sooner the better. So, yeah, so I didn't speak to them about their beer list, but I did make some uh, fairly critical observations about uh, how seriously uh, and how appropriately they treat beer. It's probably an interesting topic for a uh, for a whole other podcast. I think the whole um, beer in restaurants versus wine in restaurants, because I, um, you know, as an insider, obviously twenty odd years in in uh, hospitality, uh, I can I, I can see the point of view from both sides. So I might um, put my executive producer hat on and uh, see if we can tee up some uh, a couple of people who, who might be able to give us a, some interesting insights. We might do that. That's a great idea. And speaking of podcasts, we are recording one, so we might move on because we've got a lot to talk about oh, today. That's we've right. got a... Uh, it's not just the, the Pete and Matt show. Um, we're about to have a yarn to crafty, but then we've also got a big chat about contract brewing. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So without further ado, we might uh, throw to get James Smith on the line and uh, have a bit of a chat to James. Now... If there was such a thing as president of good beer in Australia at the moment, it would be James Smith. He's the yeah, yeah. quiet little busy bee behind uh, Good Beer Week. And uh, I think uh, without making him blush too much, uh, I'd like to welcome James Smith, president of beer. James, welcome to uh, Good Beer Radio or Radio Brews News, I should say. You're trying to <laughs> trying to impinge on our uh, our, our good name already. Uh, no, well, thanks. I think that's a li- little bit uh, too generous there, but thanks for the uh, the intro anyway. No, look, mate. It, it, you know, I'll say nasty things about you later, as you know. But um, look, it really was. I, I described it variously as you know the blooming of a thousand flowers, and uh, just you know the, the best thing that's happened to beer for a long, long time. And you know, I, a lot of that sprung from you. I think I. 
you could probably trace its roots back to um, the BMN TV breakfast. It went very, very well last year, the morning after AIBA, and I think people were looking for that. You suggested putting together a debate, and a thousand flowers bloomed based on people obviously wanting something. Well, I have to point out, I mean, I think the original conversation came with you know, Barney Matthews, is now at um, Manly, um, and you know, there's quite a few other people being involved, but um, yeah, certainly it, it did spring from let's do an ev- event because there's no expo on this year, and then let's do a few events, and then this is quite a good idea, let's do a few more events. And, and then I, I still, you know, I had a conversation with someone on the Thursday night when uh, Atticus Finch was just closing down after hosting God knows how many people for their beer versus pig night. And the owner there was saying, so how did this come about? And I could tell the story about the original conversations we'd had and how it all started. And then I sort of paused and said, but I don't know how we've got to this point on Thursday night where there's just this amazing buzz and there's all these things going on around the city because really we just sort of let it go. You know, we coordinated stuff and we gave people something like you said earlier to hang their hat on. But at the end of the day, that was it really. You know, it was kind of just letting everything rise to the surface that was already there. You know, it's giving everyone a bit of a nudge, I suppose. And, and it says a lot about the industry too and the, the generosity of the people within it. And also, it looked like that they would uh, offer, you know, throw their doors open and offer to host so many different events and, and Sorry, give support. So did you say they throw could. their doors open? No, I said doors. Oh, right. <laughs> well, so Steve Jeffers did turn up with a, uh, a, a, a very big blow-up doll, so I'm not sure... Oh. Um, but uh, sorry, throw, throw their doors open. I'll, I'll let you yeah, finish off. Throw their off. doors open. We'll fix that up in post production. And um, but it also shows that I think there's there's a genuine concern within the industry to make sure that we, uh, as a as a group, step forward and 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 uh, offer something to potential craft beer drinkers to uh, you know to to bring them into the fold. That it's not a it's not a a clique or a, an exclusive club. It's you know all aboard. Plenty of room for everyone. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things that you know. We're, one of our things we were aware of, even in the run-up to it, you know, we didn't have enough time to put on any sort of major public events or get the marketing out that wide. And I think for next year, that's one of the two major things we w- want to improve on is is having sort of bigger public events and also ones that are maybe more appealing to a, a wider a wider pub uh, you know wider audience. And that's, you know, it's all very. It was fantastic, but in many ways, it was almost like a beer industry and beer lovers loving, which was great. You know, it was great to give everyone that excuse to celebrate what they you know they do year round and make them feel good about it. And it was great to have people come from overseas and from interstate and go, "This is amazing." You know, and you know, Kiwis going back, going, "You Aussies are the friendliest guys in the world," <laughs> and you know, and just people loving. And it, that's fantastic, but it has to go beyond that. And I guess you know, we've got the calling card. We've got hopefully a lot of love. And a lot of sort of um, respect for what's happened this time, and now it's a case of building on that to make sure we, you know, that that sort of momentum isn't lost. Um, hence, why you know, I guess there's been a lot of meetings about it already. So uh, you, you, you're spot on. I think that the biggest thing for it, it was an industry function. It's the only time in the year that you could organise it in a country as big as Australia. Everyone is there for the AIBA. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been other attempts to create a festival. What made this different was nobody tried to own it. Nobody tried to be the specific gatekeeper, um, you know, making money for themselves and others be damned. Um, it was an event that really celebrated beer and anyone could be part of it so long as they were willing to embrace that. And, you know, congratulations on starting, you know, on getting that started. I know that a father does not have a favourite child. 
but if there was one uh, event that was your pick of the week um, and listeners and anyone that was involved, please don't think that if he chooses one, but I would gen- genuinely like to think, uh, find where he had the most fun. I actually, I'm actually trying to write this week's newsletter today and I really don't know. Like, I think the biggest thing that, that came out for me was the kind of the feedback at the end and just, you know, the feedback, especially from overseas visitors. And we were chatting to Steve uh, Grossman, Grossman from Sierra Nevada. And at one point he said, you know, you guys have as good a craft beer scene as we do in the States. Now, thankfully he wasn't taken too far into, you know, rural Australia to maybe see that it's a little bit different. But to have someone like that come over who's part of a brewery that was responsible for kickstarting craft beer, revolution in america to come over and have a week over here and feel that way is amazing you know and i guess that's the thing that really stood out for me is that obviously the enjoyment that people had during the week and the fact that people were so willing to get involved in it but that was the highlight you know was to see you know and then see the feedback from a lot of the kiwi brewers that came over just saying you know there's a lot of love for a lot of love for melbourne a lot of love for what happened so Prof? Now put your plums on the line and answer the question. Yeah, name, it's pa- name thank you. <laughs> I really can't. I've been thinking <laughs> about it. I really, I really can't. You know, the, the, yeah, the BMN TV breakfast was a lot of fun. I, I, I guess in some ways for me it was almost a bit of a, a blur the whole week though because wherever I was, you're always you know keeping an eye on who's there and thinking I've got to be there next and I've got to do this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved the beer debate went as well as it did. Um, I, it really was almost too much of a blur to go there was the highlight. It was almost, uh, I guess there was an element of like that sort of, I wouldn't say it was stress, but there was almost that sort of, that sort of you know, almost that sort of bubble around the head that meant you're always thinking, I've got to be here next, I've got to do this next. And so, you know, there was no, no big highs or lows. It was just this sort of constant blur of activity. I reckon too, there's a lot of, um, a lot of parallels between, you know, what's, what's your favourite beer? With a lot of the events, they were the, the, the best thing you can go to, but for different reasons. Like each each event, I think, had their own different. So, like for me, some of it was getting in touch with the um, you know the, the the outer ring, if you like the uh, the the people who are just stepping into the the good beer. Don't look at me like that. Um, the good beer scene. Uh, whereas for others, it was the fact that you could rub shoulders with the you know the the beer glitterati. So I think for a lot of people. There, you, you probably it's probably impossible to to pick a favourite because each of them was a favourite, but for different reasons. Yeah, look, and, and I agree. If I was going to give a most improved award, that's got to go to the AIBA dinner itself. Um, they lifted it over, on, over past years. I thought it was a little bit tighter event. The food was excellent, and they'd actually made a bit of an a, a attempt at um, celebrating beer rather than just holding a, uh, you know, a school formal type event. Um, but I'm willing to sort of name in a fantastic week um, and in a week that it was very difficult to get too much beer on board because I never didn't have a beer in my hand, <laughs> but I couldn't get it to my lips because there were so many people you wanted to talk to. Um, I uh, I would say that the Kiwi Spectacular was probably my highlight, if only because I sat down and was having so much fun, I didn't want to leave, and so I missed the debate, unfortunately. I was uh, very disappointed about that the next day, but it was the first time I'd had just to sit and try some of the beers that were on offer and have a, you know, just sit and enjoy the beer. And people came and went, and, yeah, it, it was just the most relaxed where I got to sit down and enjoy beer rather than the event, you know, the, the, the whole event itself. But um, it was a, in a week of fantastic events, um, it was the one that stood out for me. Yeah. And, and interestingly, uh, 
given the amount of hype there was around the last spectacular, the great Australian beer spectacular, and, and how it was the had people queuing out the door. Speaking to Steve this week, that was actually the biggest day they've ever had um, at the venue. Even though you know there's been a lot of hype, really? Australian yeah. one. That was the biggest day they've ever had and by a long way. Yeah, and it was also the biggest day they've ever had at the, the tap house in Darlinghurst, which was kind of picking up on the vibe. It, from what I hear from Barney Manley and other people, there was a lot. There was a you know there's a buzz in Sydney because it was because of what was going on down in Melbourne. Um, See, that's that's fantastic, and that answers one of my questions. How widely did this get out from just the the, the beer community? Yeah, I had Jade from the Wheaty um, approach me at one of the events and just chatting away, and um, I could see where her questions were going. I was like, "So, are you volunteering to sort of get something off the ground in Adelaide?" And so she was saying, well, "You know, you know, a lot of her regulars were, were upset they couldn't come to Melbourne, been keeping an eye on what was going on, and so they were wanting to know how they could get involved with Good Beer Week in the future." So, you know, there has been, you know, and then even the guys from WA saying, well, "We've got WA Beer Week coming up, but..." What, what can we do to sort of tie it in with Good Beer Week? So it does, word seems to have spread, you know, and it's, which is great, you know. It, we, we, it's fair to say we massively underestimated how it would go. It's a good problem to have. <laughs> anyway, we could probably talk about uh, Good Beer Week for hours, but uh, we want to keep the podcast fairly short. So, James, we'll just uh, finish it up by saying congratulations. Um, congratulations on Crafty Pint, the website. This isn't the Crafty Pride Appreciation uh, podcast <laughs> or anything like that, but I will say... Uh, you've indicated this week that you're willing to accept a little bit of advertising. Um, so I'm going to editorialise a little bit here. Uh, anyone in the beer industry that thinks that they benefited from Good Beer Week, open your wallets and empty it out in Crafty's pockets. He's uh, doing a, a lot of work for very little return at the moment, um, and it's all good for beer, and I think the industry needs to get behind him. Sorry about that, James. Hopefully that doesn't embarrass you too yeah, much. Yeah. Or, 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 or what we come calling with the uh, cap in hand for next next year's Good Beer Week. So don't don't, don't splash it all too soon. <laughs> well, we, we, it, if we want Crafty Pint to be around uh, next year, I no doubt you need to make a living out of it as well. And I, I know it takes you a, a lot of time to do. So uh, hopefully uh, people will uh, start showing you some of the uh, the love that you've been showing Good Beer. Anyway, I appreciate that, Matt, and I'm sure I'm sure Mrs. Pint would be uh, would be very pleased with such a suggestion. <laughs> well, congratulations once again, James, and we'll talk to you again soon. No worries. Cheers, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on again, Good man, James. No worries, mate. And today we have a discussion about contract brewing. It's a vexed issue in the brewing industry at the moment. It's something that beer geeks love to hate. And today we have uh, two very passionate beer people with us. Uh, one of them is Adam Tripp Smith founder and CEO of McLaren Vale Beer Company, uh, based in Adelaide, but we'll, as we'll discuss later, maybe not brewed in Adelaide just yet. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you having me. Now, I need to uh, disclose up front, um, being a very ethical uh, publication that Australian Brews News is, that you've recently signed on as an uh, advertiser of Australian Brews News, but we don't pull our punches. And uh, we, we'd actually teed up this show before that sponsorship came about, so uh, I've, I had all of my tough questions ready and I'm not going to tear them up. So I hope you're ready for a little bit of robust discussion about contract brewing. I am, Matt. I expect to be punched today. <laughs> but that said, thank you very much for sponsoring uh, Australian Brewers News. Um, now, Adam, just give us a uh, quick one-minute pitch about the history of the, the, the company and the explanation for why you chose to uh, begin a brand before you built a brewery. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Look, McLaren Bar Beer Company is coming up to three years old in, uh, in July. The first year and a half, however, was, uh, was just me on the road. And look, for me starting out, 
you know, always had a long-term view of this industry and concluded that, um, you know, for us economically, and also me not being a brewer by background, that um, we wanted to start with a brand and incubate, I guess, a brand and volume around the country to justify a larger rather than a smaller brewery um, so that we could, you know, end up with, I guess, some reasonable scale and, and some reasonable economies out of that. Now, that's, that's a hard way to go about it. Um, but for us, it's meant that we've been able to have a reasonable amount of growth, and particularly in the last 18 months, and we're now in the process of commissioning our brewery in Wollonga um, and in sourcing our production there. But as a result of, I guess, being a bit patient, and I'm not a, I'm not a patient person, then um, we have been able to chip away at that and as a result invest you know, more heavily in a brewery than we would have if we'd you know, used all our money to start with a small greenhouse to start off. So kind of doing things in reverse and, um, and I guess against the way, the way a lot of beer companies start up. And I think both approaches work. Um, it's just, you know, it depends on personalities and, and how the business is start. I think in the end, they all end up at the, at the same position with the brewery and the brand and, and uh, you know, making good beer and hopefully selling lots of it. Excellent. We also have uh, Ben Krause, who's the president and CEO and founder and brewer at Bridge Road Brewers. Um, <laughs> Miss ben, Chairman. Uh, <laughs> Miss Chairman, Chair, Chairman of the Surfboard. Um, ben, thanks very much for coming along to the show. Um, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the history and uh, the setup for Bridge Road Brewers and why you went the path that you did. Um, yeah, quite a different, different path. We started uh, six years ago next week. Um, basically went about uh, doing some, some started in the wine industry, but then went uh, heavily into doing research into beer, really enjoyed beer, um, and got some experience, went out and got work experience, um, sort of without earning any money, did it for free in Austria, um, just to, to understand what I was doing, and then enrolled in a University of Ballarat course. And I guess different from Adam, we went um, out and, and spent any money that we had on, on brewing equipment, um, and built a product first and, and sort of focus on, on our product and, and the brand is sort of something that's come second. So I guess now um, we're finding ourselves looking at the marketing part, whereas Adam's looking at the, the brewing part now and, and we're going the other way about it. Um, we've sort of expanded from starting in, in my parents' shed. It was sort of a you know, financial way that we could start without any um, big prohibitive costs. Um, after a year, we moved to a, a bigger location where we're still at now. You've been, tended to be fairly outspoken about the, some of the contract brewers that have entered the market. Um, you know, what, what's your feeling uh, about that? What, what drives your passion to sort of, uh, uh, I, mean, I guess, criticise is, is, is the right word, criticise the contract brewers for the way that they've gone about it? I, I don't, I don't guess I don't criticise contract brewing. There's, there's definitely a, a, a place, as Adam's demonstrated, they've grown really well in the market. I think, I think my major qualm, and, and without being too much of a martyr, is, um, is I understand all the work that's involved in running a day-to-day -day operation and brewing a beer, and, and um, many, many contract brands don't really understand, I'm not saying that Adam doesn't, but many don't understand what's involved in, in actually running a small-scale brewery and brewing four or five times a week. I mean, this morning is just an easy example. I've already been into work. I've been bottling for an hour. Um, we had a problem with the regulator. We had a problem with the glycol. We have to go pick up gas bottles and go pick up bottles, and I've got two staff working there now. Um, 
all these sorts of things. That's just a, a really small example of the things that really are involved in, in brewing. And, and it's not just developing a recipe and it's not just turning up on brew day and, and being part of things. It's it's a whole business and there's a lot of craft and, and other management things are involved. And I think um, I think my, my major qualm is when a contract brand sells itself as being all the things that I am when it's clearly not and they benefit from people uh, from punters, that punters assume that they are doing all the things that I'm doing or another craft brewer is doing, um, and it, and they they're getting benefit from people assuming that they're buying a product that's that's made that way when in fact it's not, um, and and it always comes back back to the point if if there wasn't any value in doing that then why wouldn't a contract brewer really put on the label where the beer is actually made rather than claiming it's from a region and it's made a certain way when in fact it's not, um, so I guess my my question always comes back to um, is the contract beer telling the consumer the truth and are they getting an advantage from from that consumer assuming that that person's doing what I do when in fact they're not. Adam, is, is there anything in that that you wanted to uh, talk about? No, look, I think actually Matt Ben's spot on there and I think I also think it's important to differentiate in um, in the broader contract world. There is there is pure contract brewing and it's effectively you know, whacking a label on something. And there's also a concept of toll brewing out there where you know, effectively um, you know, companies are sharing brewing assets, um, which you know, reduces the, the capital injection for them. Um, and it's something that's quite prevalent in the US and less so here, but I think becoming more where you know, brands are growing and, and need extra capacity in sharing stainless steel. To me, that's it's not quite the same as you know where Ben's doing, where it's all in house. But I think that's a natural evolution as well, where you know there is brewing equipment being shared, and for all the purposes, it is it is the you know the brewers doing it. They're just using um, or sharing stainless steel still, so they can uh, you know reduce the cost. So I think I have no issue. And I think uh, Ben's point is, uh, is is spot on. On the flip side of that, which is just purely from a segment point of view. I'm, and craft beer growing, I think contract breweries um, that are you know that, that are set up right, that have the right quality specs, etc. That um, companies like us or people like me can start out in are also good for the segment because it incubates new brands, new products, new people into the segment, which is what will drive it going forward. I think there is an issue with quality that has to be watched and managed and. At the same time, though, the market sorts that out. So, if there's bad beer coming out um, out of contract breweries, then my view is the consumer should sort that out and, and not, you know, not not buy the beer. I think the issue of labels and you know pretending to to be Ben, etc., and, and and doing all the passion all that is a fair point. Um, and in fact, when we started out, we had to put brewery code on the label where you know where the beer was being produced, and then those rules changed. In fact, I didn't think that was a bad thing when it was there. Um, and that, you know, one step further from that would be to say, you know, brewed at or, you know, brewed at this facility or whatever like that. And, um, you know, I've got no issue with that. And as I say, when we started, you know, the brewery code um, for the brewery we were using at the time was, was on the back of the label. So so anyone that knew sort of uh, what the code meant, you know, was, was very clear about where the beer was being produced. I, I guess one of the things that people look at... Um you know, from, I guess, a small brewer and a public perception, Adam, is, you know, guys like Ben have been around for five years and, you know, starting to sort of get some market presence and they see a, a brewer such as as yourself 
come on fairly quickly. Um, you know, whereas Ben's put money into stainless steel, you've put your money into branding and distribution, and uh, that seems to create a little bit of ill, Ill will. Um, I'm not saying for for Ben, but it does seem to create a little bit of ill will, and uh, you know, the the the, the, the flash interloper um, type. Um, perception is out there. Um, is that a fair perception to have? Or is it just good business the way you've gone about it? Oh, look, I think it's a perception. I don't know if it's fair. Look, for us, for me, it's um, it's just good business sense. Uh, and I'm not saying it's better sense. It's just it was certainly the way for me because uh, I'm not pretending to be a, a technical guru or anything. Um, but I, for me, the better thing to do was invest in people um, and being a new entrant to the segment with no, you know, personal reputation or, or personal brand, if you like, from from a previous life in brewing, um, the best thing for me was to have people so that we could service venues, get to the venues, and and sell beer um, in order to grow our volume. Now that was just a, a business decision for me that made sense in terms of achieving growth that we could so that we could then build the brewery we wanted and sort of take our business to the next level. So I think, um, look, for me, I think it makes sense and I think it's, I think it's been a good thing. I think it's, and, and others that have gone down the path provided the, uh, the brand, uh, you know, is not pretending to be something that's not, um, is good for the segment and good for the consumers and everyone in the segment because it's bringing new beers into the segment and, and at the end of the day, what we want is more people drinking craft beer and I think the more more beers around the country and businesses that are getting getting the reach and, and getting the beer into the hands of the people is good good for everyone. So I think um, you know, and we've we've talked about this before at length. And if you look at our Facebook page or website or whatever, you know, when the question is asked, where is our beer made, we're quite upfront about it and we say why. And if you know, if you go go back in history on our Facebook page, there's plenty of responses by me explaining that. We chose to you know, invest in people and a brand first, and we're building a brewery, you know, right now. You know, that we'll be commissioning around the end of our third year of operation. So, for me, it's just been about keeping to that, putting it out there, let people decide if they don't want to buy and drink our beer. Then, then that's their decision. Um, and if we're transparent on that, then I think we leave the consumer to choose. Ben, what, what's your thoughts on that? You know, McLaren Vale have gone down the route where they've, you know, called themselves the McLaren Vale Beer Company. Um, rather than the, the, the brewing company, and there have been no shortage of uh, contract brewers that have proudly pr- professed to be brewing companies, um, but yet they've got the McLaren Vale name on it. Does regionality matter? Does does that uh, ha- have an issue for you? Uh, I think it does. Uh, and as I, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not against contract beer. I think it's great what Adam's done. Um, and and I can see there's a you know he's he's got his strategy and the way he goes about his marketing and everything and that's that's really good and it's he's doing a great job. Um, he's one of a few I would say that that have actually taken the bit in the the bullet and actually invested in brewing equipment after you know thinking that'd be the the way to go. There's plenty of others that that haven't. Plenty of contract brands around that haven't taken it any further. Um, they all announce that they plan to though, don't they? Yeah, it's all it's always on the cards. Um, but I guess. I guess it comes back again that my thing is that I would I would love for the consumer to know up front where that beer is being made without having to do any research, without having to, you know, because most consumers won't do any research. They'll just make an assumption that it, that it is what they think it is and, and what it's trying to, to claim to be. So um, I, I know there's, there's no way to make anyone do that at the moment, but I guess 
I just have to focus on promoting what it is that I do differently to contract beers without, you know, say, mentioning them. So uh, we've actually gone to the lengths of all our packaging actually makes a statement in that we make our beer on site on our own equipment and, and sort of make a point of all the things we do that, that contract brands might not do. So it just starts people asking that question, thinking why would, why you know, they buy our beer and read our packaging and thinking why was he making such a strong statement that he makes the beer himself? And then they might ask the question, oh, gee, the, the others might not be making their beer. So um, I, th- I think it's, it's fair what Adam's done. Regionality is an interesting one. Um, if it were wine, I was thinking of an example last night actually, if, if, in fact, I had an address in the Champagne region in France and I got a contract bottle of sparkling wine made in the Yarra Valley and my office is registered in uh, Champagne region France, could I call that sparkling wine champagne? And the answer is no. Um, and I guess it, 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 there's no laws or anything about that in Australia. Um, Adam's obviously from that region and he's got a lot to do with it. But there's plenty of other examples where, where people aren't associated with the region apart from owning an office or a PO box there. And, and the beer and the product really doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with the region apart from the, the postal or residential address of, of the thing. But that's not just true of uh, contract brewers, for example. Um, you know, you, you look at um, um, a couple of things that you threw up there. One is uh, where beer is made. Two of the, you know, I, I regard as the best craft breweries in Australia, um, beside Bridge Road, of course, um, Mountain Goat and uh, Murray's. Um, I understand that they both have brands these days that they get brewed elsewhere. They own a brewery. They're pioneering brewers. Should they also then label when those beers um, are, are brewed outside of the brewery? And does it matter? Absolutely. I think I think if for any small brewer... Um if say for my for example bridge road if we found that a product was so popular we couldn't keep up with production in beechworth and we had to farm out a single brand off to a contract brewer um to to fulfill you know the the requests of of customers um then i would be required i would like to think that i would be required to state where that beer is made um it has been raised in, in meetings I've been in before um, and the, one of the breweries you mentioned said they wouldn't be keen to um, to say where the beer actually comes from, where the bottled product is actually made. Now, why would that be so? Obviously because the consumer holds holds great value on where that product is brewed and, and if they are deceptive, then they, they keep their customers but if they tell the truth, they might scare some customers off. Now, I don't think it's fair to consumers to 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 be deceptive, even if it means by just just hiding or, or not mentioning where it's made, rather than oh, we didn't say that it was made in Richmond, or we didn't say that it was made in um, uh, Warner's, but uh, so uh, where Murray's is made. Um, therefore, we didn't tell a lie. But I think I think they should really disclose these things about where they're made. But I, I guess. With beer, it's been a long time since uh, any grain, um, if it's ever been grown in Richmond, has been grown in Richmond. And, you know, does it matter if if the same quality and the same, you know, heart and soul goes into the beer, you know, and that goes through all of the processes and the quality control and the, the ethos? Does it matter where, if it's not brewed in Richmond? Does it matter if uh, McLaren if, if Vale... Does, if it didn't matter, Matt, then they would write on the label where it was made. But sorry, but it, the, 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 I guess there are two um, questions in that. Does it matter in the public's perception, and does it matter in terms of the the, the quality of the beer? Um, I think we can accept that the oh, public perception it matters. 
I, I don't think it matters in the quality of the beer. I think there's some great examples of contract beer that, that is perhaps better than my own and, and better than many other small craft brewers. Um, it's not about quality. It's about honesty and, and the value that the consumer puts in the, the you know, the, the the consumer isn't just buying the product for the product or for the brand. They they like the idea of, of the fact that it's brewed in a region that they go to or they like the fact that they live in the same place and, and or or that it's done by hand and there may be some mistakes. Um, and, and if there wasn't any any value in it, then then contract brewers would all be labelling where their beers actually are coming from. But but there's a huge value in it and that's why there's resistance to, to actually saying where and how it's actually made. Prof, you're being very quiet there. Do you want to weigh in? Mate, I'm listening intently to all this because I, I, I just think there's two guys who um, who I admire uh, and it's interesting to... To, to hear the different the different viewpoints and it's 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 easy to kind of lean either way and, and agree with with elements of both one interesting thing is and, and Adam touched on it before and, and Ben just did then um, I think from a consumer point of view there's a lot more value I, I think than we can quantify in what I'd call say the face behind the brand um, I, I know Ben I've visited the brewery um, drank a hell of a lot of his beers um, to me, Bridge Road Brewers is Ben Krause. Like I, I see the, um, I guess his his input into it is important for me in terms of um, you know the, the the emotional attachment I have to the brand. Um, Stone and Wood, I think of as Brad Rogers' beers, um, and, there, and there's probably another half a dozen examples that I could roll off. Um, it, from the consumer's point of view, I think that's probably more a long term thing. I think, and I guess I always get back to talking about. Um, people who are new coming into the market and I think that's where we've touched on a couple of important things that uh, honesty in in advertising uh, I think is the most important thing because it's hard enough to walk into an Uncle Dan's or a First Choice or whatever it might be and see a thousand new brands that weren't there two or three years ago and go okay which which one's for me which one is um, uh, is honest which one has the integrity which one and that's that, that's not necessarily important to to the punter walking straight in but it's I think it's important in their their long-term development and I, I, I think that's where I see that we have a um, a bit of a uh, an obligation to sort of lead them down the right track but as Ben says uh, you know if it wasn't so important to the punter then the breweries would be honest. And, you know, you, you see it right through the whole spectrum of the uh, brewing industry. And, you know, Squires, James Squires Malt Shovel Brewery only ever shows photos of their tiny little Camperdown brewery. They don't show South Australian brewing. And, you know, their biggest selling brands are there. Um, you know, they, they went through this great, I won't call it a charade because I can't, I don't know what was in their minds, but they went through this great process of launching a Kosciuszko brewery, which is a 600-hectolitre um, thing to, to brand and regionalise their beer. and But Kosciuszko uh, pale ale that you buy anywhere... Six hectolitre, is it? Not 600 hectolitre. Oh, sorry, six, six hectolitre, sorry. Um, I don't, I don't uh, know. I'm, I'm, oh, it, 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 I'm assuming it's not 600 hectolitre. It, it, it's a small brewery designed to uh, serve the hotel up there, um, but it's certainly not putting beer in kegs. It's uh, now available around the country. Yet, you know, they, they very carefully brand it. Um, they, they very carefully talk about the origins. And, you know, the, these things obviously do matter to the computer, uh, to, to the consumer, because they have invest so heavily in it. And that's true of the entire industry. Um, 
how, how do we get around this? How do we either educate the the, the brewers uh, or the consumers, or how do we, um, you know, make it so that people can make a knowing and informed selection without having to do hours and hours of you know we're not all beer geeks that want to spend the uh, our days on beer advocate learning these things. Matt, uh, Matt I think um, actually Prof's probably point earlier was was the more valid one, and I think this is what the consumers will end up defining for us, but. I think it's the personality and the brewers behind the beer that I think is of more interest to the consumer at this point. So the fact that it's Ben's beer or Brad's beer or, or Dave and Mountain Goat, I think is what's more relevant because, and if you look at the history of marketing beer, you know, with big organisations and, and over the last 10 years with, with Brad um, and Chuck Hahn, et cetera, it's, it's the people that have been marketed and have had the profile and the brewers behind the beer that gives it the personality and less so about the physical bricks and mortar, if you like. Now, most of them then build on that experience with a hospitality offering you know, or beers in the brewery or tours or whatever. But I think where the consumer is most interested is, is in the people and the personality behind it. And that probably ends up meaning that you know, the likes of um, you know, breweries that start and then outgrow their capacity and end up contract or toll brewing and some beers um, still have that personality and passion to me and it's just business that's meant that they've been able to grow and um, and get elsewhere uh, get you know needed to have beer brewed elsewhere but under their control but you know the personality and the people are still there it's running it and I think you know we're now debating whether you know labels should have X on it in terms of brewed here or brewed there um, or more about the rule behind it. And I actually think the consumer will decide for us at the end of the day. You know, if they want to know more about where the beer was brewed, then they'll end up telling us, or they won't buy the beers, etc. Um, but I actually genuinely believe they're quite interested mostly in the people, and, and at the end of the day, meeting. You know, people love meeting a brewer and talking about it. And in our organisation, you know, Jeff Rights, who joined us in in Feb, who I think Matt and Profit now met. Um, you know, is you know, hosting a beer dinner last night. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from Jeff, the guy that's designing, you know, recipes and, and tinkering with our new brews that we've got coming out, etc. Prof? Yeah, I, I'm just wondering whether, just looking ahead and throwing a Dorothy Dixer at these two fine gents, um, is the answer to some of these questions actually going to come about in the, in the next couple of years? I think back to when Grand Ridge first started brewing and Eric Walters uh, and his crew back in the day, and this is 85, 86, something like that, brewed, I think, 147 trial batches of their of their first beer before they were happy for it to, to sort of go to market. So first, I'd be interested to know with Ben, um, you know, with the Aussie Ale, the Paler, when you first sort of created the recipes for those in the shed um, at the back of Dad's place, did you did you hit it first off um, did, or, or did it sort of take a few test runs to, um, to, to sort of get it right? And then conversely to Adam, you're kind of going backwards. You're having to go from a scaled-up operation to now scaling it down. Are you concerned that you've you've set the benchmark for your brand, um, for the beer, the actual product, um, and now you've got to actually, on a smaller scale, hit those marks again? Ben, we might go throw that one over to you first. Um, we we do things a bit differently here. Um. We don't do too much trialing. We're still, I guess, uh, how many goes did it? How many goes <laughs> did it take to get the beer right? Well, um, a lot of a lot of our beers we're still getting right. We're still tweaking them. We're still changing them, and that's part of the fun of 
what we do. There might be nothing wrong with it, but um, we might get a bit bored with the hot profile of our pale ale. And, and it's not just a commodity or, commodity or a brand. It's something we drink and something we do. So we, we like to mess around with it and change things. Um, our 500th brew that we just did, that was a total stab in the dark at, at doing a new beer style. We don't do any trials. We don't do anything. We know... We'll, We've got a fair idea of what the outcome is going to be because we're brewing hands-on all the time. Um, so we know we can throw certain things together and, and, and sort of get close to being a good thing. It's never going to be perfect when it's a single-batch, one-off beer, but um, it's always going to be interesting. So, uh, no, we, we, we never did 147 trial batches of anything. Pretty much every beer we've ever made, we've released. We haven't – I think we might have to have turfed three batches before they made bottle in, in our history um, and everything else we'll just, you know, if we're not happy with it, we'll release it and, and tweak it and, and go again and try and make it better. Um, but I, before I finish, I, I don't want to start a, a you know an argument from side to side, but I, I do want to emphasise, Adam mentioned that the consumer isn't too concerned about where the beer's coming from. They're more concerned about who makes it. I always get that answer from contract brewing and, and my... Uh, rebut to that would be if it doesn't matter then why don't you write on the bottle where it's made because it does matter um i think that's the bottom line people will always shift and and say there's no great value in where it's made then then why is it beer branded as regionally when it when it's not and why isn't it written on the on the bottle where it is made i think there's there's uh, I don't market myself on any of our marketing material. People who know the brewery know me and, and do some research. But if you pick up the bottle, you don't know who I am. It's all about Beechworth, our region, our town, northeast, you know, getting a feel for, for where we live and all that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot about passion and making it ourselves. But I, I don't accept that. I know, I know there's huge value in, in the person and the personality, but I don't think it's as big as the location and the methods and and I think the consumer does hold it higher than that personality. Adam? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, as I said earlier, I think on Ben's points, then, you know, label codes before about where, where beer is brewed and, and putting it on there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not arguing against that. But I don't take issue with that. I think um, I do think from in the consumer's eyes that, um, you know, the spirit of the beer and who's brewed it and, and all of that is... What they're interested in, and I think, you know, probably a, an example that's probably coming up down the track will be you know, Little Creatures with their new Geelong Brewery, and obviously it's been a juggernaut success. The rise of Little Creatures. Um, I don't know that uh, the consumer um, will be fussed if they're drinking a Creatures Pale that was brewed in Fremantle or Geelong. Um, you know, Although on that. On that, Adam, the, all, the only thing that I've heard about that is that the, um, from a business sense, Pale Ale will always brew it at Fremantle, whether right. that happens, um, because to them, uh, you know, the, the heart and the soul of the culture that they've built is, is critical. Um, now, I've only been told that informally, um, whether that pans out in, in a lot of business cases and stuff like that, I don't know, but um, I think that, 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 that is, at this stage, that may be the plan. Yeah, to Ben's point, I'm I'm not arguing against it, and and at the end of the day, it's who's going to decide and, and dictate, I guess, that um, that beer companies need to put um, you know brewed at X brewery or brewed brewed at this site, etc., on the label, um, or is it a volunteer type thing? Um, and certain certain beer companies will be for it and support it, and certain won't. Um, and you know we're we're I guess becoming a 
fibre and a good transitioning from one end of the spectrum to other, starting out um, contract brewing and now you know, building a brewery. Um, I can see, you know, I'll, I'll be able to wear both hats and sort of have, have a view from both sides, I think. I think um, you know, I'm, not, I'm not against it. And for us, um, you know, achieving market success is about, you know, having a beer that people will drink and then getting it to them. And um, you know, I think we've been public enough in all sorts of forums, etc., that um, uh, it's not it's not hard to find out um, you know, where our where our beer is is brewed. Will you make a big thing of it when you launch the brewery in McLaren Vale? Oh, absolutely, because uh, you know people like to go and see fermentation vessels and, and meet brewers, etc. Um, and uh, you know we'll apart from the fact of creating employment in the McLaren Vale region, etc. So will we make a thing of it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it'll be a month of parties. So, um, but you know, all for us, it is a uh, it's a milestone event. You know, we've we've you know, like the conversations we're having now, we've we've had plenty of times with with people over our you know two years of operation, and uh, you know, uh, I I'm uh, frankly jealous of, of the other guys that have breweries um, because it's such a it's such a strength for their business uh, in terms of hosting people, showing people around what you're doing, and educating them about the process. So that's you know something we've lacked. We've had a halfway house because we've had a hospitality venue that we uh, you know the original Inn of McLaren Vale that we've had for a year and a half now, where we you know educate, run tastings, beer dinners last night, etc. But there's no substitute for uh, you know like we were all doing at Mountain Goat, standing there drinking a beer next to the uh, stainless steel and um, and ogling at it. So I think that's, you know, I, I'm jealous of that and I'm looking forward to the day where we have that and can offer that as well. Can I just I go back to Prof's, Prof's earlier point on, yeah, uh, yep. on, on recipe development, etc. Nor, nor did we do 150 versions of, of getting Vale Ale or Vale Dry, etc. Uh, in all of them, it's probably been four or five. Like Vale Dry, uh, we did about four four brews, I think, before we, uh, we went out with it. With Vale Dark, which is a Top of the one at the moment, which we're about to release. I think we're up to, you know, we've, we've been doing 100 litre, 100 litre brews of that for about five months now um, before we'll uh, go into the market with it. And just how many, what, what's in the budget, Adam, as far as um, once the, the new brewery comes online and it's kind of like a scaled down version of what you're doing now, how many? Well, actually, 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 it won't be uh, prof. So, um, you know, where we're brewing at the moment is a, is a three vessel, 50 hectolitre DME. Um, oh, okay. you know, we're, we're investing in a, uh, a four-vessel, 35-hectolitre DME, so exactly the same equipment um, with the extra, extra vessel. Uh, we'll, um, we'll be doing the, able to do the same output per day um, in terms of number of brews and, and probably more so. So one of the benefits for us of, of waiting, I guess, is we've you know, been able to over-invest in stainless steel, the exact same brewing um, Brewing kit that we're brewing in at the moment, so actually for us, little will change uh, in terms of the equipment and and the and the, um, you know, the process by which it's brewed. Right. Yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to pick up on that, and it's it's not really relevant to the two brewers we've got on today, but um, the, the the question that Ben's raised is how do consumers find out? And um, you know, Adam, you, you've been pretty upfront about it. You know, you've both in the name of your company and uh, you know where your beers come from. But there are a lot of contract brewers that uh, go out of their way to actively hide where they're brewed, and um, you know I don't mean to single anyone out or you know for, for 
for, for criticism, but my personal experience, I was uh, recently in the Grampians and uh, went to the Royal Mail Hotel, fantastic pub, supporting beer, um, doing a really good job. The staff were very educated. They had one of the few wine sommeliers who was right across um, wine and beer and interested in beer, and for me, that's a big plus. Um, they, I asked them if there was anything local, um, and they brought me a bottle of uh, Three Troopers. Um, I knew nothing about the label. They said it was you know, brewed just over the hills, um, such and such by a dairy farmer, told me this, this story, and I tried it. Thought, gee, this is a really nice beer. You know, lot going for it. Um, it's great. Wanted to go see the brewery while I was in the area. Turned out it wasn't there. It was a, a contract brewery. Um, I jumped online. Their website, um, you know, tells this long, involved story about their provenance and their history. Says nothing about and no contact details for you know where you can go visit the brewery. No, you know, it's got an online web form from memory. Um, and to, to me. Even a very informed consumer or a consumer that is willing to do the work to inform themselves has to go above and beyond uh, to, to find out the story about, you know, to, to find out exactly where that, that, that's brewed. Now, as I said, really good beer, enjoyed it thoroughly, but when you've got knowledgeable uh, bartenders or you know, knowledgeable bar staff who have been fooled by it, who are perpetrating this myth, um, if people are buying on regionality, and I'd intended to buy the local beer when it wasn't how do we get around it i don't know but you know should should the industry be doing something to uh to make it easier for the consumers to find out because does this damage the regionality of brands like ben's ben i, I guess i'll throw that one over to you first oh no let, let adam go I, I don't have much to say that's fine oh actually matt i think i think your point's right and look Obviously, the four of us aren't going to solve this on the call today, and it's, it's the whole bigger topic of a, of a national you know, craft beer association that can um, you know, run these kind of policies and, and get everyone to, to adhere to a certain policy on where the beer is brewed and, and various other conditions on what should go on the label. Um, but you can pick, you know, I can picture a scenario, and uh, you know, for us to be saying, you know, brewed by the Vale boys at it's not really something that scares me, um, and, and I think I think what Matt you're saying, Ben's saying is, you know, if people want to volunteer, what how we actually get that consistency. And Matt, your example is perfect. So the only way you will solve that is to, you know, I, I don't know the beer, but or, or the or the company, but um, you know, through three troopers boys, three troopers boys brew this beer at so and so or whatever. But um, the only way that's going to happen anyway is, is you know, an Australian Craft Beer Association, which I'm sure will be a topic of another Radio Brews News down the track. And, and I should stress that, you know, I wasn't singling them out uh, for any other reason apart from it, it, it's an illustrative case. Um, I would. It, 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 it happened to me. Um, I'm fairly informed about these things, and even I couldn't easily get to the to the story. Um, ben, it, I mean, is something like that an issue for you without not without referring to any particular brewery? I appreciate... Um... I, yeah, certainly. I, the, the hard part is if that if that happened to you, if it happened to another consumer, then then they might start questioning my beer or, or someone else's beer and, and, you know, they can't look... At, because there's one example of dishonesty... Um, on a beer label, then then people might start to assume that you know, oh, do you make your own beer? How many of them do you make here? All those sorts of things. Um, 
and and they so that that has a negative impact on on my brewery and that that people might not be sure or might not be 100% trusting that that, that I'm making all the beers at our little plant in Beechworth. Um, whereas a, a simple um, label that that said says where that actual bottle of beer is produced would would fix the problem instantly. Any last words, anyone, Adam? No, no, I think I think the good thing about all this is the fact that the little the, the segment that we're in has grown so much and there's so many new entrants into the segment that it's causing these kind of topics to come up, which I think is is great because it shows that you know the segment's growing, people are coming into it, and there's more beers out there. I think where where we end up is that as it grows, it's probably going to need some some stricter guidelines on uh, on marketing and brewing and all these kind of things. And I'm sure there's a host of other issues that. Uh, will come to the fore that we just need to address. But at the end of the day, I think it's great we have more people coming into the into the segment and, and that we're all pushing the craft beer segment forward. Ben, any last thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd just like to thank Adam for, for talking so openly and congratulate him on opening his brewery. I think that's great. Um, we, we get calls all the time for people wanting to contract wanting us to contract brew from them and I always respond by saying it's not what we do we've got a pretty strong stance about brewing our own beer um, and I really encourage those who are thinking of going down the contract path to think again um, not because Adam hasn't done a good job he's obviously done an awesome job of doing it the way he does but um, not everyone might be that talented in marketing and, and getting their brand out there um, I started my brew with $15,000 in the bank um, and all the money I get, I continue to invest in the brewery. So um, I guess I, I would encourage those thinking of contract to find some way to start their own brewery as small as they can to begin with. Um, it might not be smart business sense, but it's, it makes beer sense to me. Um, we've just ordered another three bottle, uh, three new uni tanks, um, which are in production at the moment. Uh, by the time the end of the year rolls around, we will have purchased a 24 hectolitre brew house which is um, more than double the capacity we're currently at so so I guess my point is you can grow the way I've grown and and albeit slower but but I guess we've started with a really small base so um, even even a big brewery such as little creatures have, have managed to you know purchase this Geelong plant own their own equipment and and start you know expansion um, using their own money their own equipment and their own production techniques and I would encourage all breweries that are going to expand to, to have a contingency plan to expand and not just rely on, on contract. I think there's a lot of value in, in regional employment. There's a whole whole host of things um, that, that can benefit from someone brewing their own beer, and I believe expansion is possible without contract. And, and if anyone sees me contract getting my beer made somewhere else, they can walk up and, and give me a mouthful for um, <laughs> talking so much. So um, I hope I don't go down the path of, of, of doing contract. I, I've sort of put myself in a position where um, I'd be eating my words if I um, if I got my beer made somewhere else. So that's all. And thanks and again, thanks to Adam for um, being up front and, and to, I guess, not taking ear bashing, but, but being there to answer the questions. Excellent. Well, as Adam said, sorry, Prof, did you want to finish anything? Uh, look, just really quickly, I guess, touching on a couple of points that the guys made, I, I think it's important that we present a unified front. Uh, as Adam said, the market's growing, and, and my experience is certainly that it's it's uh, it, it's a lot of fun getting new people 
towards good beer and, and taking them away from, I guess, what the the mainstream that they've that they've been used to, um, and, and perhaps we need to concentrate as much on that. Uh, and then once they're in, then perhaps we educate them, whether it's through labelling or through, um, you know, a united voice uh, of a, a a union kind of, you know. Of, um, of brewers throughout the country rather than uh, state-based ones uh, to get those people to then understand the, uh, the ins and outs, I guess. Well, as Adam said, we're probably not going to uh, solve this issue today, but I hope we've given a little bit of ventilation and given uh, people food for thought. Adam, uh, Ben, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, I uh, applaud both of you for your openness today, and not just because uh, I just realised that Ben's a sponsor of Australian Brews News um, as well, so uh, <laughs> I've got the velvet gloves on here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we've ventilated the issues in a uh, in, in a fair and robust manner. Anyway, guys, thank you very much. Uh, happy brewing, and uh, look forward to having a beer with you again both very soon. Thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate it all. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, Adam. Cheers, Adam. Good luck with your next meeting, mate. Thank you. And that's another episode of Radio Brews News. Uh, If you've been interested in the discussion and would like to find out more of the thoughts of the various people involved, you can uh, follow them on Twitter. Uh, Adam Tripp Smith from McLaren Vale Brewing Company can be followed at at Smith Factor. Ben Krause from Bridge Road Brewers can be followed at at Naked Ned. Pete Mitchum, the executive producer of Radio Brews News, can be followed at at Beer Blokes and... Me, Matthew Kirkegaard, can be followed at at Matt. Thanks very much for listening to us once again. If you've got any ideas for topics that you would like covered, we're happy to uh, get anything on. The more interesting, the better. Um, you can email us at editor at brewsnews.com.au. In the meantime, enjoy good beer and remember, drink less, drink better.